Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you. I'd like to start off this morning with a few review questions, if I may. And I'd like to start off with some people. Um, can anyone tell me who Hezekiah's son was that became king? Elijah? Not Ammon. Manasseh, you're right. So who was Manasseh's son? Just a hint, he just said it. Ammon, Ammon, that's right. All right. Now, who was Ammon's son? Raise your hand for this one. Grandson of Hezekiah? Jack. Josiah, you're right, Josiah. So, if you would please, we're going to be using our harmony this morning, and we're going to be starting... Um, on page 41, but um, also if in your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 22. But before we get there, I'd like to do a little bit of review, and we're going to look at our timeline. Now, we're going to actually come back to this timeline later in the lesson because Josiah is a very important king in the house of David, and there are events that take place in his life that have history all the way back in this time of David and Solomon. So pay attention to that. Yes, we can. Well, can I get through my questions and then I was going to lead in prayer? We're going to get through question time, then we're going to transition to prayer, then we're going to transition into the lesson. So here's where we're at here, and we move forward, and we have Jeroboam up here. Don't forget him. We're going to learn about him more today. And then transitioning on again, we come to the end of the northern kingdom. Here you see Hezekiah. And Hezekiah's son's name was? Everybody. What's his name? Oh, no. What's his name? There we go. You know what? I've had a re uh, an experience these last two weeks at Good News Club where, where these children, I ask a question and all of them raise their hand. And I'm there like, Wow, all these kids know all the answers. And then I call on them, and they sometimes, actually surprisingly, get it right. And sometimes they don't get it right, but they doesn't keep them from raising their hand the next time. I thought, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, if this crowd here needs to hang out with the Good News Club kids and, and, and answering questions, I, it, was, it was quite amazing. So who is Hezekiah's son? Manasseh. And before I put it up on the screen, what was the name of his son? Ammon. What was it? Ammon. Ammon. And the name of his son? Josiah. Yes. Yeah, so let's see it up here. We have Hezekiah, a godly king. Manasseh, a wicked king, but repented in the end. Ammon, a very godless, wicked king. And now we have King Josiah. How old was King Josiah when he became king? William. No, that's how old Manasseh was. I know it's easy to confuse him. How old was he? He wasn't six, a little older. Hannah. And he was a little older. I hear the number out there, but I want you to raise your hand. Yes, how old? Charity. Eight. You're right. He was eight years old when he became king. Very good. Now, how about when he was 16 years old? Does anybody remember what it says he did when he began to be six years old? What did he begin to do? When he, in his, when he was 16 years old. Jared? 
he began to seek the Lord. Very good. And then when he was 20 years old in the 12th year of his reign, what does it say that he did? Hannah? Yes, he began to tear down the idols. Very good. So that's Josiah. And then it tells us when he was 26 years old in his 18th year, what major event took place? Something happened. Or I'll give you another hit. Something was found. Do you know? That's right. They found the word of God in the temple. And that's where we're at here today. Okay, good. By the way, if you had trouble answering the questions, again, the family Bible readings, all the questions are right here in the family Bible readings. And there's some back there. And if they run out, I'll print more. So they're all right here, these questions. And if you notice, I'm even writing more questions for it to help myself because I started to find out as I study that I have questions and I have to go dig in to find the answers for those. So just reminder for this. So let's now take some time and seek the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for your word. As we learned last week from Josiah and his life, we are reminded of its importance and the priority it ought to have in our lives. And I, I pray that it not be lost in our calendars or in our clutter or in the busyness of our life, but that you, your word, our relationship with you might daily be a priority. And may we learn. Help us this morning as we learn. May we learn from the events of, of history and of Josiah. Teach us and help us. And also, Lord, I pray, as we think here today of uh, Brother Tool's Uncle Jerry, we just lift him up to you today, and I pray that he might recognize your grace and your salvation and your mercy, for we are all great sinners in one way or another. And I think especially of Manasseh, the, the, such a godless king and so wicked and evil and the, the atrocities that he committed. Um, Lord, and yet when he was in his adversity, he humbled himself greatly and he was in and you were entreated of him as he sought you and you showed him mercy and you gave him forgiveness and lord i pray that um uncle jerry here would recognize that your grace is wonderful and abundant and that your mercy is real rich and deep and that he would simply trust you believe you at your word and at your promise. And Lord, I pray that that would also be true for each one of us here today, that as we look to your word, that we might believe and trust you. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. So we have King Josiah, the boy king. Eight years old, he becomes king. Sixteen years old, it says that he began to seek after the God of David, his father. At 20 years old, he begins to destroy the worship centers of idolatry from way up in the northern kingdom all the way down to the southern part of the Judah kingdom. And then when he is 26 years old, they're repairing the temple, and they find, never lost, just neglected, they find the law of God. Hilkiah the high priest finds it. He delivers it into the hand of Shaphan the scribe. Shaphan the scribe takes it to King Josiah and he begins to read it to King Josiah. Now, what was it they found? 
it's very likely that what they found was the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy. Now, it's also possible that it was all the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Can you say those with me? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means literally the word, the second law. It means the second giving of the law. It really is taking all of the details of Exodus, Leviticus, and some of Numbers, and the technical detail of it, and it is presented in sermon format. So Leviticus and Exodus, um, mostly Leviticus, is very much legal code. They're the laws. They're the details. Deuteronomy repeats a lot of the information that's already been given but it's repeated in a way that is a sermon. It, is, you know, it was really actually preached by Moses. Um, there's, a, there's a few sermons in the book of Deuteronomy that were preached by Moses in the last few days of his life. Moses preached the whole book of Deuteronomy. And so here now, Shaphan reads this law to Josiah. And if he was reading just the book of Deuteronomy, it would have taken probably two to three hours if they read it without stopping. Um, and they're reading through this. And again, it's, it's the law, but it's the law presented as a sermon. And it is really impacting King Josiah. King Josiah is just really moved as he hears the word of God. Having been neglected, now found, and as it's being read to him... He's, he's hearing of commands given to the kings of the land. He is, he is reading and he is hearing of commands that are regarding idolatry in the land, commands regarding um, sodomites in the land, laws regarding the care of poor in the land. And he begins to realize that in his land, it's a disaster even though four years prior, he began to tear down all of the idolatry. It's amazing when we start to read about what's going on here in this chapter, in this 26th year of, of Josiah, to think, wait a minute, I thought when he was 20, he took care of all of the idols. In fact, wait a minute, I thought Manasseh, his father, had torn down all of the idols in Jerusalem. Well, just to give you an impression of how permeated the society was with idolatry, that Manasseh, even in his repentance and tearing down the idols, didn't come close to taking care of it all. Josiah, in his 20th year, in these past four years, hasn't even come close to removing all of the idolatry. Idolatry is everywhere. Jeremiah talks about the idolatry being on every street. Really, if we were to look at it and consider it and even see how it is in other cultures of the world, even in modern times, it was likely that every shop, every home, and in every room, in some cases, there were shrines and idols. The idolatry was permeating the entire society. And even though Josiah has taken away the big ones, it's still everywhere. In fact, even though it's been four years since he started to do this, it's still in the temple of Jehovah. Pagan idolatry is still in the temple. I mean, can you imagine how much idolatry there must have been for it to be everywhere? Now, we all sit here this morning, and we think of this, and we think, wow, what bad people. 
We think of idolatry oftentimes as silliness, just silly. Why would people worship idols? We think of it as silly. But in the New Testament, there's some descriptions given about what true idolatry is in here. See, idolatry isn't just an idol that you shape and you carve. Idolatry starts inside you. It tells us in Romans chapter 1 that idolatry begins by being unthankful. Not being grateful for what God has given to you, what you have received. Romans chapter 1 tells us that. In Timothy, it tells us that covetousness, which is idolatry. When we covet things, you see, if you think about idolatry now as being unthankful and coveting, wanting things we don't have, think of how much idolatry permeates our society. I mean, it's in every store. It's in every home. We have to beware. Now, it will spiral down to worshiping graven images and molten images, but it begins in the heart of misplaced priorities, misplaced or missing gratitude and covetousness. Idolatry was a really big problem in the days of Josiah. Terrible, terrible problem. Well, Josiah is hearing the law read. And if you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Now, I think on this day, the law of God, the book of Deuteronomy, was being read. And I wonder how many times it was read. I imagine that as he read it there in that setting, he, he got to the end and... Huldah, the prophetess, says that he had rent his clothes and was weeping before the Lord. Now, ripping his clothes was a sign of horror, was a sign of distress of mind at what was happening or what had just taken place. Josiah was in that state. I mean, we see him there in his royal clothes, don't we? Those fancy garments. He looks all comfortable and cheerful, doesn't he? That's when they first started reading. There in his 26 years, as a 26-year-old, they began to read it. By the time they had come to the end of that book, Josiah was weeping. For the law of God had been so neglected. They had not been obeying it. And the law of God, Deuteronomy, was filled with warnings. It's filled with promises of blessing. It's filled with promises of judgment and cursing if there's disobedience. And he himself already knows that some of those curses are pending. There are threats of some of these curses right there in the midst. And he realizes we deserve it. We deserve it. And as he's reading and he's about coming to the end of the chat, the book, the book here is 34 chapters. And in the 31st chapter, he reads or he hears Shaphan read this in Deuteronomy 31.9. And Moses wrote this law 
and delivered it unto the priests, the sons of Levi, which bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and unto all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, in the solemnity of the year of release, in the Feast of Tabernacles, so the Jews, and it's also explained in the law, observed every seven years a year, a sabbatical year, a year of celebration, a year of rest. It was a solemn year. It was really a year to remind them to trust God. It's what it was really all about, as well as to give the land a break. And here this was in that year, every seven years, in the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is when they would set up little booths outside, and they live in their booths for a week. Um, in their little tabernacles for a week, and it's in the month of October, our October, their Tishri, in the Feast of Tabernacles. So here now a command Moses is giving that every seven years in the sabbatical year, the year of release, in the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in October, when all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, and later we find out that place is Jerusalem, here is the command. Thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together. Okay, so it's going to give a list of people together. And if you hear your category named, can you stand up? All right. Gather the people together. Men. All men stand up. And women. All women stand up. And children, all children stand up. Do we miss anybody? Oh, well, you might be thinking, well, this is only Jews. And thy stranger that is within thy gates. Did we miss anybody? No. Gather the people together. Please be seated. And what are they supposed to do when they gather all the people together? They're going to read this law in their hearing that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. And that their children which have not known anything may hear. And learn to fear the Lord your God as long as ye live in the land whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. Well, here Josiah is, 26 years old, and he's never heard the book of Deuteronomy read once. He's the king! And here, this law was given into the hands of the priests, and this job was given to the priests and the elders of Israel. And here, as time has gone by, now he's the king. I mean, he's like the elder of elders in the nation. And he hasn't followed this because he didn't even know it. And so much more in this book hasn't been followed. He is torn as he reads of all that's taking place here. He reads then, if you actually continue in this chapter, it continues on in the chapter just before this. It talks about the blessings and the cursings that will come for obeying and disobeying. 
He's torn his garments. He's crying. He's weeping. He calls together the commanders of his people, the elders of his people, and he says, go to Huldah. Go to Huldah, the prophetess, most likely Jeremiah's aunt. Go to her and inquire of the Lord for me, for us. And you remember, we learned that that's what they did. Uh-oh. Is that my issue or your guys' issue? Anyway, they went to Huldah, and then she told them that indeed what you have read is true. It's God's word. It will happen. But Josiah, because he, in the tenderness of his heart, had greatly humbled himself, Huldah said that he would be gathered into his grave in peace, and he would not see the calamity the evil that would come upon Jerusalem and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem. Josiah is overwhelmed. And he knows something, though, because he knows that throughout history there has been pending judgment, and God has either delayed it or stopped it because of the response of the people. Here he has heard the law. Here he has even read this command that it be read every seven years publicly to all of Israel. And so here now in 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 1, it says, And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. You know what? I actually think we need to find a time and schedule it as a church to do this, to take two and a half, three hours to gather together and to read the book of Deuteronomy just like they read it that day. Several times in my life, I've taken and done this myself personally in reading the book of Deuteronomy. It takes about two and a half, three hours from start to finish. In fact, actually, when we were in Israel, we listened to it as we traveled from the southern part of of Edom all the way up north to Ammon, and through Ammon, we were able to hear the whole book of Deuteronomy in that one setting of that drive, as we actually were seeing the region and came to the region where Moses preached it. It is amazing. It's so often we think of the law as being a law, but Deuteronomy is filled with preaching. It's filled not only with law, but it's filled with mercy grace and compassion of God. In fact, as the chapters climax here in the latter end, God pleads with the people being described as the apple of his eye, and he pleads with them that they will turn to him for he is the rock and his ways are just. And he says, follow me for I am life. Seek life. That's the theme really throughout the entire Bible. And Deuteronomy, yes, indeed, is specifically applicable to the theocracy of Israel, which has been set aside at this time. But boy, are there lessons and a profound reality that we can draw from it today. 
Not to the same degree as it was in Josiah's day, because as we're going to see here at the end of what happens when they read this, some things change in Jerusalem that aren't quite the same as they would change here in our land or in our, our church. But nonetheless, how important it would be to read God's word, to esteem it. And notice, it's all of the people, including the children. And so here they do this. They read it. They read it publicly so that everyone can hear it. All gathered together right there in the temple. And it tells us that the king, he stood by a pillar. And you know, as the book of Deuteronomy comes to an end, it speaks of a covenant that is made. You know what Josiah does with the people that day? He renews that covenant, for it says that the king stood by a pillar. Most likely this pillar is one of those two magnificent pillars that were on either side of the entrance into the temple. The king stood there by that. And he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. Now, notice something here about what this covenant is. Can you look at me? Look with me at this verse. 2 Kings 23, 3. What is this covenant? It's first to what? He made a covenant before the Lord to... To what? To walk after the Lord. So that means you're going to walk with the Lord. 2 Kings 23.3, on page 42 of your harmony. 2 Kings 23.3, first to walk after the Lord, and then to keep his commandments and his testimonies. Do you guys all have your Bibles? Do you see that? First, to walk after the Lord. Two, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes. Now look at this next part. With all their heart, say that with me, heart, with all their and to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. Notice here that it's not only about keeping the law, it's about walking with God, keeping the law, and doing so with all of your heart and soul. Keep that in mind. It's not just about keeping the law. It's about walking with God, keeping the law to do his commandments, his testimonies, his statutes, but with all of their heart and soul, and thereby performing what God wants to be done. Well, it says here that all the people stood to the covenant. You know what that means? That was their way of agreeing to it. They stood up in agreement to this. In fact, um, it's interesting to see how it's recorded in 2 Chronicles 34, where it says that Josiah caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, their fathers. We're going to come back to that because it's interesting to see how it says that they stood to it and that then Josiah caused them to stand to it. Let's keep going and see what happens. 
For now it tells us in 2 Kings 23, verse 4, that the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and for the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem, the fields of Kidron, and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. I'm amazed here. Really? They've been cleaning up idolatry for four years already. Actually, no. Since 12th year, 18th year, this is six years they've been cleaning up idolatry. And in the very temple of Jehovah, there is still paraphernalia, paganism connected to Baal, the groves, Astaroth, and worshiping of astrology, the stars and the planets of the heavens. You see, what's really been going on here is that in the midst of all of this reform, it's not really been with all of the heart and it's not really been with all of the soul of the people of the land. Or if it has, it's only for a short time. You ever had that? You ever had a habit in your life or something you knew shouldn't have been in your life or in your home and you got rid of it, but the time passed on and it just showed back up in your life? It's kind of what's going on here. It's, they didn't really, it didn't really leave. It just was an outward thing. But now they're going to get rid of it, right? Well, we hear this law has been made and this covenant has been read before the people and this begins a massive reform throughout the kingdom. And in the following remainder of this chapter, it goes through and summarizes some of those things that Josiah did in the kingdom. And we're going to take a look at some of those things. First off, the paraphernalia of paganism. That's all the little things and the big things. All the junk associated with paganism was carried out of the temple and burned in the Kidron Valley. They burned it. And then they, on top of that, they took the ashes and they carried it up to Bethel. Now, we're going to learn some more about Bethel in a moment. But here they began in the temple. They cleansed the temple. They cleaned it out. All the paganism. They got it out of the temple. Secondly, they found that there were idolatrous priests. No surprise. There is idolatry in the temple of Jehovah. And since there's, there's paraphernalia and things relating to the idolatry, we find out also that there are priests who are idolatrous. And they're put down. They're taken away. Not just the, the, the supposed Jehovah priests, but any priests of these pagan systems were put down. Then it tells us that Astaroth was removed from the temples in its buildings. This is referred to as the groves. Now, if you might be an archaeology buff, you might go, well, that's not Astaroth he's chopping down. You're right. Astaroth is an idol so grotesque, I wouldn't even show you a picture of it. It's a horrific thing. And yet it was in the temple. But no, not now. Now, Josiah, it's removed. It tells us here that the Sodomites' houses were broken down. Nowadays, we call sodomites homosexuals. Their houses were broken down. And this day, it wasn't just something that was done in a, in a corner or in the privacy of one's home in this situation here. It was actually an a, 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 a immoral, horrific system of immorality that was prevalent. Their houses, it was, it was like, to put it in modern terms, and I, I am reluctant to do this, but I think it will help you to, to know it. It was like the gay bars. They were broken down, and such establishments and places and things like that had been taken away, and they were closely associated with pagan idolatry. 
Josiah, he broke them down, which, by the way, was an explicit and direct command given in the law. All of these things were specified and given. Furthermore, the priests throughout Judah were all recruited to go throughout all of the idolatrous places in the entire region to break down and to remove and to destroy the idolatry spreading throughout the place. The place of human sacrifice to Molech, there in the valley of, the, of Hinnom, just south of the city of Jerusalem, that place was defiled. Now it's interesting because that particular region up to this time had been beautified. It was a special place of idolatry. And now at this time, it turns to a place not of burning and sacrificing babies and children, but where they take and put their trash. And actually, if you go to this valley here today, back in 2017 when Evelyn and I were there, we went through the Hezekiah's Tunnel. I told you about that a few weeks ago, and we came out at the Pool of Bethesda at the end. And then we decided, you know what, we're right there at where the Kidron Valley and the Valley of Hinnom meet, right there. The Pool of, Ke- Pool of Shalom is right there. And so we're like, well, we're going to go exploring. Hmm. So we started going this way. And real quick, we decided to turn around. There was trash everywhere, torched cars, left abandoned, trees growing out of cars. And this is like Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is like impeccable because it's a tourism city. And we decided, I don't think tourists are supposed to be over in the Valley of Hinnom. And so we went up the other way, and we found ourselves in another place. We were like, yeah, I don't think we're supposed to be here either. And so we finally made it back into the beautified Kidron Valley and made it on back up to the Temple Mount. But it was intriguing. This valley here was a place of idolatry. And beginning at this point, it became a part of the city that became the trash heap where there was continual fires burning trash. And it was just continuing on. Jesus actually referred to it as a a putrid place, as a symbol of what judgment would be, where there is judgment. There's the burning of the trash. And so that's taking place here in the valley of Hinnom. They destroyed Moloch, the human sacrifice that was taking place. There were chariots that were dedicated to the sun god and their horses. So you see, this is interesting. See, we, we think of idolatry as you know, these pagan little idols, and we think of this and then burning it? Hmm, chariots. Do you think we have modern-day chariots? And do you think that modern-day chariots can be people's idol? Hmm. What is your vehicle dedicated to? Well, you might say, well, mine's not dedicated to the sun god. And you'd probably be right. But what is it dedicated to? What is your purpose of it? In this day, they had these chariots, and they were dedicated to the sun god. It was a problem in this particular case um, to a point where they actually had to destroy them, destroy them, these chariots that had been dedicated. Now, there were special altars that had been erected by Manasseh and Ahaz. Now, remember, Ahaz was Hezekiah's father, right? So we went through those names earlier. Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, Josiah. Ahaz and Manasseh had set up idols. Remember, it says that Hezekiah had torn down all the altars of Ahaz, but there were still some left. Remember, Manasseh had set up a bunch of of idols, but he had torn them down, and there are still some left. Already it is said that Josiah in his 20th year had begun to remove those altars of Manasseh, and now six years later, there's still the altars left. 
But not now. Josiah, he goes beyond, and he goes throughout the temple. He's on a mission to remove this idolatry completely and totally. Now, this one's intriguing. The sacred shrines of Solomon, King Solomon, David's son, they are destroyed. Hezekiah didn't do it. Manasseh didn't do it. Part of the reason why is because when Solomon had built these shrines and these worship centers, they were magnificent. They were beautiful. They had amazing gardens built around them, amazing places built around them. And no king prior had the courage to destroy them. I mean, we're here in Josiah's reign. We're right here in Josiah's reign. And we go way back, even before the united, the divided kingdom, to the days of Solomon, where you remember Solomon his wives turned his heart from the Lord and he began to worship strange gods. I believe in the end that he had repented, but he had built for his wives these worship centers that now, finally, how many years later? 300, 400 years later, they have been there and are finally destroyed under Josiah's reign. It says that all the mediums and wizards were removed throughout the land. Again here, we mentioned this a few weeks back when it was Manasseh who was obsessed with this kind of thing. And in Deuteronomy chapter 18, we learned that witchcraft, sorcery, and this kind of thing with familiar spirits and wizards and necromancers, you know, uh, God says that this, 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 this is not to be in, in your land. Uh, there's not to be found among you any such as this. And so this begins to happen now in the days of Josiah. Josiah is applying what he has read in the book of the law. You see Jeroboam's altar? Jeroboam's altar in Samaria and other altars throughout Samaria in the northern kingdom had been set up and had continued. Here now for 300 years, the golden calves of Samaria and Dan have been worshipped. But... Josiah the king now destroys these altars and he executes their pagan priests and burns their bones and bodies on the altar. And here again, we do a flashback. Here we are, the times of Josiah, and we have to go way back. These are altars that were established here in the days of Jeroboam. And remember the nameless man of God, that prophet? Write down next in here in, in your Bibles, 1 Kings 13, verses 1 through 3. Turn there. 1 Kings 13, 1 through 3. It tells us that 300 years before Josiah, a man of God who's never named came out of Judah, and by the word of the Lord, he came to Bethel. And Jeroboam, this king, he stood there by the altar to burn incense. There, Jeroboam, right there at this time, Jeroboam worshiping these golden calves. That's him. He's there burning incense. And this nameless man of God, this prophet, he comes and he rebukes the king. Here you see the, the, the prophet and here you see the king, King Jeroboam. And he cried against the altar and the word of the Lord and said, O altar, O altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, 
Remember, this was prophesied 300 years before Josiah had even been born. And upon thee, this altar, shall he offer the priest of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And the man of God, he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is a sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent. And that's exactly what happened. You see the altar here? It broke right there in the midst of it. And the ashes that were on it poured out. Now, we're not going to review all of the history here, and you can read the rest of the account here, but it's quite dramatic what happens here. But here lies the prophecy, and this prophecy has been made. And now we go 300 years later, and that very same altar, Josiah, the one prophesied 300 years before, is fulfilling this prophecy. And so they take and they burn the bones. Now, there's a little bit of interesting here. fact of what's taking place is they're going through and gathering up and emptying the tombs of all of these priests that had been there and burning their bones upon the altar. He sees an inscription and he goes, oh, what's that inscription? And they tell him, and you know whose grave it was? The prophet there. That prophet that was buried in Bethel as well as another two, two prophets. And he stops, he says, oh, leave their bones alone. But they go on and they burn all the other bones of the many years of the pagan, pagan, idolatrous priests of that time. And this was done by King Josiah. King Josiah. And, and why did he do all of these reforms? Why did he bring all of this about? Well, it tells us in 2 Kings 23 that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had found in the temple. This is why he did it. And we have a summary of Josiah's reign in where it's described in 2 Kings 23 and verse 25. Do you see it here? In your harmony, um, I've actually listed it back on page 35 in the character, uh, just a summary of his character for it says, and likened to him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord, and look at this, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose any like him. You see here, Josiah brought this about, and it wasn't just outward form. It was from his heart, for he did it with all of his heart. Not just all of his heart, but with all of his strength in following the Lord. Look with me here more closely at 2 Kings 23 and verse 26. For we find this word. Notwithstanding. Notwithstanding, the Lord turned not from the fierceness of his great wrath, wherewith his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations that Manasseh had provoked him withal. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight, as I have removed Israel, and will cast off the city Jerusalem which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, 
my name shall be there. Remember Deuteronomy? When you come to that place where his name shall be, they haven't been paying any attention for generation after generation after generation. And now in the days of Josiah, it's too late. It's too late. Judgment and the motion of judgment is already in play. It's going to come. And it doesn't matter that Josiah has brought about reforms. And you might say, but why is not God one who longs for people to turn to him and he turns from his judgment that comes? Well, we have to compare Scripture to Scripture. For we read here of Josiah. You notice it says Josiah. You see that here? There was none like unto him. No king before him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to the law of Moses. Remember that in Deuteronomy? We read about that. We find out as we continue reading more scripture that this was the case with Josiah, not really the nation. In fact, not even his own children. For if we turn to Jeremiah, remember Jeremiah is a prophet who has been, who has been preaching here in Jerusalem. Now for, let's see, he started in when Josiah was 17 years old. Remember when Josiah was 16 years old, he began to seek the Lord God of his father David? In his 17th year, we find out in Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah was called to preach to Judah. And, and Jeremiah, we're going to study more of Jeremiah, but it's interesting. It's not really chronological. It jumps all over the place. But this part here is said to have happened during the days of Josiah. And listen to this rebuke. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 10. Jeremiah has just finished summarizing the wickedness of Israel, Judah's sister, and the judgment that came upon Israel. And he says in Jeremiah 3.10, And yet, for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly, saith the Lord. Yes, Josiah turned to the Lord with his whole heart. And the reason why it didn't advert judgment is because he was one of a very, very small minority. There were others, but not many. It was all just outward. Yes, they performed the word of the Lord. More likely, they performed the word of Josiah, who was the theocratic representative of God bringing this about in the nation, which, by the way, is the distinction between Josiah and us today. We don't go out and go busting into people's businesses and homes and demolishing and destroying their idols. That's not the case. That's not the jurisdiction nor authority given to us in this age, the church. We don't do that. But in this theocratic kingdom, it was. These actions you heard taking place, it was in this the theocracy where God was king through the representative of Josiah. But in spite of all of this reform, all of this change, the people themselves did not really serve the Lord from their whole heart. It literally says it was feignedly. You know what that means? 
it was fake. They just did it on the outside, probably because if they didn't, they would get executed like the pagan priest and burned on these altars. So it was just an outward show, an outward show. The idolatry was still in their hearts. So what can we learn from Josiah? There's a hundred lessons we can learn from Josiah. Let me appeal to you one on just one this morning. Do you walk with your God in humility, with a tender heart? Josiah was said by Huldah to be one who had greatly humbled himself before God. He walked with God, and he obeyed him from the heart, with all of his heart, his soul, and his might. Are we serious about what God has said? Does God's word change us? Are we a different people because of it? We live in an idolatrous world, whether we want to admit it or not. We live in a wicked world. Are we different? Later this morning in 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to learn even more about the contrast between the world and what the Christian should be. Do we seek the Lord with our whole heart? Father, we need you every day. Father, sometimes we are frustrated because we seek to obey you, but we do it in our own strength, and sometimes we just do it for social family pressure. May we consider our own hearts. May we consider our relationship with you directly and consider our lives. Lord God, may your spirit move among us. May we be a people not outwardly reformed, but a people quickened, renewed from the heart, a work only you can do. May we by faith Simply trust you, letting you do that work in us. Lord, may we be encouraged this day by the example set forth by Josiah of obedience. And may we not allow ourselves to be lifted up in pride, either spiritual pride or any other kind, but to continue walking humbly with you. We need you now. We pray these things in Jesus' name.